everybody. Welcome to the FPA Power Planning Podcast. Today I'm joined by Lachlan Haig to discuss how becoming Power Planner of the Year in 2019 came about and what he's up to now. Lachlan's got a great story and has crossed over to financial planning as a mature age grad. And we'll be talking about this in greater detail and his next career steps into the professional year of financial planning. So Lachlan, I realised that it was a couple of years ago now and it was before the pandemic where we could provide awards in person and celebrate and do those things face-to-face, which we haven't been able to do for some time. But congratulations all the same on uh, the Paraplanner of the Year Award. Thank you, Kate. Yeah, you're right. It does feel like it was a lifetime ago now, um, but that's mainly because of the pandemic, not because of, of everything that's happened in a work sense. Well, I would like to say it's a prestigious award and it's an important one because as an advocate of the power planning industry, there's not many of these awards around. So tell me, how did it come about? How did you end up being nominated and winning this award? I was encouraged to enter. The piece of work that I did enter um, was identified as being um, somewhat unique. And so I was encouraged to enter by Neil, um, the managing director here, and, and just threw my hat in the ring just to sort of see how I measured up against my peers. That's fantastic. So how was it unique? There was a, a significant amount of research that had to go into this piece of advice. The client had lost her husband uh, relatively recently to when the advice was written um, and had left an absolute mess in terms of their estate. So I looked at uh, using the small business CGT concessions in conjunction with his estate uh, to make small business CGT contribution to super to avoid paying capital gains tax when our client sold his business. So that really brings me to my next point, Lachlan, because there's power planners that are out there now who've been a power planner for five years who would be fearful of taking on a piece of advice like that. Credit to you. We should talk a little bit about what you did in terms of your qualifications and training that led you into power planning. I was actually a mature age uni student. I didn't go to uni until I was 27 years old. I studied a Bachelor of Commerce, majoring in accounting and financial planning. I actually wanted to be an auditor when I left uni, but found my way into financial advice after picking up the second major, which I really only picked up because I was interested in understanding financial planning for myself. I thought it would be something that I could use in future years and <laughs> fell into, into a career. I've never looked back. I really enjoy it. Um, But it certainly wasn't what I set out to achieve when I left building all those years ago. Building. Now, I do know from previous conversations that you were a carpenter in a previous life. So that is quite a change, I must admit. I did my carpentry apprenticeship under my father, who did his carpentry apprenticeship under his father. So I'm actually a third generation carpenter and it was, it was a pretty significant life decision to walk away from the family business to start again and go to university at the time that I did. Absolutely. So that takes a lot of courage. Looking back, I guess, but at the time, no. At the time, it was just, it was just the challenge that I needed to, to take on in life. I think you've made the right choice. That's a great outcome 
for you. You've done a, a bachelor, but you would have to admit when you get into the office, it's quite different. And to produce a statement of advice, you can't go from university no. to writing a statement of advice about small business CGT concessions. So who helped you and who guided you to get you to the point where in a very short space of time? Well, funnily enough, Kate, that that piece of advice that I wrote and entered was actually the first piece of advice that I'd ever written. But in getting there, I started at Tapikoff's as a grad and just wanted to be in a, in a firm that I thought was doing the right things and aligned with my personal goals. Um, so I started in a client service position and uh, spent a couple of years cutting my teeth there and really took the opportunity to read the advice that came through. So just sort of uh, read the advice, thought about it, marinated in it, tried to understand how the client would, was better off as a, as a result of the advice and just kept trying to work on my professional development and get better and really understand how to make a difference in someone's life. Lachlan, that's brilliant because... I was talking about this earlier and I'm often asked what can people do if they want to become a paraplanner and they're an administrator or they're a graduate or how can they help themselves to progress to that point? And I think you've really touched on something very important there by talking about what you can do yourself and reading the statements of advice. You might not be preparing them, but you're in the office, you've got access to it and you can learn a lot by being in the environment, even if you're not doing the work yourself. So that's that's a really good insight. Thank you. No, you're welcome. I suppose for me, to go further on that, for me, it was about, if I was about to implement the advice with the client, I really had to understand what it was that we were trying to achieve and then figure out how we were going to go about doing it. It was one thing for the advice to say, you know, roll your super from here to here or make a contribution and, and this is this mm. is the end result. But for me to really grasp it and to be on board with implementing it to its fullest, I really needed to understand it. Just getting your head around it. And did you find you asked a lot of questions of your peers during that time that you were learning? Absolutely. And of everybody. I still do. Rather than burying myself in, you know, legislation or tech guides or anything like that. It, it's more, I guess, my style just to go and spitball things with a few people in the office. People sort of laugh, have a bit of a chuckle when they, they see me walking down the hall. They sort of <laughs> roll their eyes to say, oh, oh no, here he comes again. But I guess really just talking talking out a strategy or looking at it from a different perspective is, is really how I've identified that I learn the best. And so I sort of just do whatever I have to do for that to happen. Great. Uh, it's one of the things that I say to paraplanners when I'm training them is that curiosity is really important for a paraplanner. Absolutely. You have to be Absolutely. curious about the strategies, about everything about the advice. Uh, it's funny you say that because in, in the piece of advice that I entered for the award, that's the curiosity was exactly how it ended up becoming what it did. I couldn't understand why this lady wasn't able to claim the small business CGT concessions and nobody was able to give me an answer as to why I couldn't. And so, and, and when I say everybody, I'm, I'm talking estate lawyers, I'm talking accountants, I'm talking big four accounting firms, everybody. This, this piece of advice that was answered actually took a, a substantial amount of time to, to work on, but that's because it went to so many different people for input. It was, it was a collaboration and an, and an understanding as to why um, something couldn't happen and the curiosity as to say, well, why can't I do this? That ended up with the piece of advice being what it was. That's great. 
And uh, having that why not attitude is uh, the foundation of many a successful person, Lachlan, I do believe. I'm already getting a sense of it from hearing what you have to say about getting that award. But what did you love when you were in that pure power planning role? What, What were some of the aspects of the role you really enjoyed? I really enjoyed marinating in a client's situation. And it's such a strange way to put it, but I was talking to one of the junior power planners here earlier in the week. And he said, he was asking me a question about how to write a plan. And I said, there's no point rushing it. You just have to marinate in a, in the situation, fully immerse yourself, understand it, dissect it four or five different ways and really understand what's going on. And then that's, that's how a piece of advice can be written. And I really enjoyed that process of taking something apart, putting it back together three different ways and, and, and figuring out what the best outcome was for that client at that particular point in time. And I, I think that that's one of the critical skills of a power planner is that the analytics and the research, and I sometimes refer to it as stress testing the strategies and the modelling. And we try as a profession to advocate more of that in our power planners and less instruction taking and, and more engagement in that type of thing because you're right that's the enjoyment that you get in power planning that's not choosing to be a career power planner like many many are choosing to now but you've moved on and you're now doing your professional year Uh, that's correct I am I suppose just to flesh that out for me my journey was it was important in my journey to see how a piece of advice was written and the approach that was taken to end up at the end product. I didn't feel that I could be a worthy advisor if I didn't understand the whole process. Mm. And so, you know, starting in client service, then working into to power planning um, was all part of the journey. And now I'm sort of coming into that, beginning that client-facing process in, in what I do now, being the advice manager here at Topicoffs. There's lots of different titles in practices that mean different things. So as an advice manager, mm-hmm. what are you doing now? I am preparing meeting agendas, I'm drafting emails, I'm doing uh, records of advice, the beginnings of, of SOAs, so power planning requests, uh, working with power planners. Um, I'm shadowing Neil Kendall in the day-to-day life of being, a, being an advisor. So does that mean you're going to Neil's client appointments with him? Uh, every one of them, yes. Yes. And you're enjoying that process. I absolutely <laughs> love it. It's, it's uh, as much as I enjoyed writing plans, the variety in meeting with different people and, and seeing the vast array of, of situations, uh, I find really refreshing. That's the exact reason that I stepped away from advice, <laughs> 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 which just goes to show you that it's not for everyone, but no, I quite like yeah. the predictability of uh, <laughs> the world I work in. But um, for some people, that variety and dealing with different clients every day is what makes the job interest- interesting. Absolutely. Uh, it, was a, it was a steep curve coming back into something a bit more structured than writing plans. But it's certainly a challenge that I'm enjoying. That's fantastic. Now, as part of that, that you have to complete your professional year, you're doing that now. Uh, How's yes, that going? It's good. It's flying by. I obviously keep a logbook uh, and I'm, I'm about halfway now. So it's starting to get a bit more familiar as the year goes on. So as part of that professional year, do you have a formalised training plan? I do. And I, I uh, go through actually every Friday and tick off We'll try and tick off everything that I've, I've done 
that relates to that training plan. It is quite a unique training plan. Everybody seems to have a different version of what that looks like. But really, I guess, just trying to dot all the I's and cross all the T's uh, in preparation to be an advisor. Do you find that the process of this logbook and training plan, is it onerous or are you, is it an opportunity to sit down with Neil and, you know, reflect on the week, the clients and how you're progressing? Is it actually a good thing? It's a bit of both, to be honest. I log, I log every hour of every day that I work. So it gets very, very long some, some weeks. So I think the training log is good. It gives me an opportunity to, I guess, rule off under each week and just reflect on what's happened that week. I mean, it's so easy to take for granted everything that happens in day-to-day life, but I've found that the logbook actually holds me accountable for everything that happens. So as much as a curse as it is, it's also a bit of a blessing in that I can, can see my progress as the year progresses. Great. I find often in advice practices, and I've worked in a few and now I consult to them, so I still go in and work with the team and the advisors often very busy seeing clients and making sure they get through the activity that they need to. And it's hard to get hold of them just to do the administration, let alone support your learning journey. So I think from that point of view, there's some real upside to the professional year because you get that check-in and those times with them to see how your development's going. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, Neil's incredibly generous with his time and, and it is very important to him that I do this year well. His door is always open to come and chat and reflect and uh, offer some feedback as to what could be better, what was done well and, and the likes like that. So uh, you're right. While the life of an advisor is extremely busy, I am very lucky in that Neil's very generous with his time. It sounds like you're very well supported at Tapikoffs. And look, you you wouldn't probably have ended up winning that award without the great team. It's always, it's never just one person, is it? You, you've got to no, have that support around no, It is absolutely teamwork. And, and you're dead right. I am absolutely well supported with, with the team that I'm lucky enough to work with here. That's great. So we've been a carpenter. We've spent a number of years in the back office and and doing the power planning and doing it exceedingly well. And you're now stepping into that world of hopefully becoming an advisor soon. So what does the future look like for you? That's probably the next, I don't know, six to 12 months. What are your aspirations? Where are you headed? In the immediate future, I'm heading to do my fascia exam. (laughs) But but in the next six to 12 months, you're right, I am looking to transition into being an advisor. Uh, And what that looks like right now, I, I... I honestly haven't given it much thought. Um, I'm, I'm mainly just focused on, on getting through this year, doing it well. But also, I guess, at the same time, I don't, I'm not sure the next year needs much thought. And that, that sounds crazy, but I really am just striving to be the advisor that I myself would want to go and see. So if, I'm, if I can do that subconsciously, then that's, that's exactly what I'm going to try and do. And everything will take care of itself if, if that's your attitude. Um, um, I think that's a good attitude. I suppose I've spent a lot of time over the years worrying about things that I can't control. And so if I control the things that I can control and do them as well as I can, then everything else is, is destiny. Brilliant. So obviously you have a lot on your plate at the moment. You've got your professional year, the FASIA exam, and you're very focused on all of that. 
but there is a lot going on around you in the broader industry. What do you see as the upcoming challenges in advice and what are you seeing in your practice? I do have a lot on my plate at the minute, um, but that hasn't stopped me from being, I guess, conscious of of everything that's going on in the wider uh, advice space. I suppose at the forefront of people's minds are the the education standards, and I've I've been lucky enough to tick most of those boxes with with the path that I've I've taken to date. So that seems to be a bit of an issue, uh, and it's definitely a hot topic in the office. Um, the other thing I, I see is the digitalization of advice and, ha- and what role that will play in the future mm. uh, and whether or not or and how that impacts the day-to-day life of an advisor. That's a, that's a really important one. And look, it is, it's a focus for the FPA. I know that Ben's done a lot of work in this space on where we're heading and how it looks. Uh, we've even taken a look at the the different software vendors and, and them doing presentations on how they think the future looks also. So you're right, that that is definitely at the forefront of many people's minds. And it's still, it's progressing quickly, but it's still got some way to go. Absolutely. And uh, I suppose it's just important for me at the minute just to keep watching it and and. Uh, keep my finger on the pulse as to what what things might look like or how they might progress. Absolutely. And that's just as important for power planners as well. As we know, power planners are often the tech champions in the office and uh, they use the software more than anybody. So it's very important for them to be across what's happening now and what might be coming in the near future. What other challenges do you see advice practices facing at the moment? Uh, the cost of advice, actually, we were speaking to a client today who who raised the cost of advice becoming almost unreachable for the average person. Mm. And, uh, I guess you read about that stories in the news or, or whatever publication you know, might, might pick it up on any given week. But to hear it from a client, I guess, really drove it home that, that this is really an issue for, for average people. And I suppose, I suppose you become a bit of immune to, to the whole advice process and the cost of advice when you're working in it. But I guess for, for the average person, you know, there is potential for an advice fee to be a significant portion of, of an annual spend. And so something that really needs to be given a fair amount of consideration to. You're right. It is one of the big ones. And it, I consult a lot, as I said, to advice practices. And one of the things is trying to create efficiencies in the advice production process because we can save a lot of dollars in that space. We're looking at each step in the advice process and how we can reduce costs and improve efficiencies. What type of power planning model do you operate on there at Tubicoffs? Is it all in-house? Have you got a combination of in-house and some outsourced as well? Uh, no, it's all in-house here. So there's seven or eight power planners uh, all writing plans. But it's all in-house. Everything's in-house. And what does the power planning team at Tubicoffs do to maintain their professional development and their knowledge? There's always a, a firm commitment to enrol in the CFP program. While power planner doesn't have to, I guess, see clients, I mean, the knowledge base is incredibly important. So I guess the CFP, committing to the CFP program is paramount. It's a prerequisite to becoming a power planner here at Tuppicoffs. And besides that, there's uh, also the Kaplan CPD obligation that we also have as an in-house rule. So there is definitely a a firm commitment to ongoing learning um, just to try and keep that knowledge base high 
and everybody across the moving beast that is superannuation. And we've got some big changes or not big changes, but they have large flow-on effects in terms of the changes to caps and thresholds coming through. It is, it's a constantly moving target. And I think it's important for power planners to remember that just like advisors, their knowledge isn't a static stop, here I am, I've made it. They've got to commit to that ongoing professional development. Absolutely. I would almost say that a power planner's technical knowledge needs to be better than that of a financial advisor. And, and that's because they're the ones that are writing the advice. Yes. I'm sure an advisor's name goes on it, but it's being written by a power planner. So their knowledge needs to be better than that of a financial advisor because they're looking, their real value is picking out the one and two percenters. Anyone can say, sure, let's make a significant PDC or, or contribution or, or, or whatever it needs to be done but it's structuring the PDCs or whatever's going on to really maximise the client situation. And that's where I see a power planner really providing that value. Absolutely. 100% agree with you there. And for those of you who are relatively new to the world of advice, we're talking about personal deductible contributions oh, there. And we love that. an acronym in our industries. With the power planners and, and talking to some of our membership who are wannabe power planners or wanting to take the next step like you have, Lachlan, what would be your advice to them? If you could give them a tip on how to get into power planning or progress into the professional year, what would it be? Don't rush. I thought that I was, I needed to race through the process, but in hindsight, there really is no rush. Enjoy the ride, commit to continued learning uh, and just, I guess, enjoy it. There's no point walking before you can crawl. And it took me a couple of years to figure that out. Um, but now that I have, I guess I'm, I'm comfortable and, and just settled into accepting that there's no point in rushing these things. That's fantastic, Lachlan. I completely agree with you. There's no rush. Try and enjoy immersing yourself in our industry because it's a wonderful industry and there's so many opportunities available to people who commit to advice and, and believe in it. So enjoy the journey. It's been really good to speak to you today and very insightful, to be honest. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Kate. No worries at all.